This week, I'll be speaking to Colin Clayweg. And if you don't know who he is, well, you should, because the work he and his team are doing to hashtag grow the game has been absolutely phenomenal to date. He's a businessman. He's the owner of the Red Star Belgrade Rugby League Football Club. He's a huge advocate for the development of the game in Serbia. And he's a director of the Rugby League European Federation. I'm predicting this may be our longest episode ever because I have so many questions for Colin regarding the Balkan Super League, Red Star Belgrade, and of course Serbia. But stick around because afterwards we will have our golden points, news and stories from around the world of rugby league. And haven't there been some big things happening all over the place? Places like Argentina, Russia, USA. It's all happening in the world of rugby league. And finally, we're going to close the show with some interviews uh, pre and post tournament with some of the boys from the London Nines Open Men's Champions, the Africa United Lions. So look out for that one. That'll be right at the end. Guys, I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 36 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. Colin Clayweg, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, mate. Thank you very much, Michael. It's an absolute pleasure. I think it's the second time, so... Mate, it's uh, fantastic to have you on. And just for any of our listeners that don't know who you are or aren't aware, they should know who you are, but can you give them, I guess, your little, I call it the Marvel comic book origin story. Let us know how a man from Western Australia uh, ends up trying to hashtag grow the game in Serbia. Oh, it's, it's a long story and we don't want to bore people, but, you know, I met a, a Serbian girl over a decade ago, got married started we had a business together and we started a business in serbia and we found this beautiful uh, game of rugby league was being played there and we went and watched a few matches and uh, both agreed that serbia has an amazing future so that's how we got involved and did you follow rugby league before then of course you're from perth so i'm not sure there wasn't uh, there's been a little bit of rugby league history there but not so much did you follow our sport before that or did you kind of find it yeah in serbia? of course yeah, Mate, yeah. I've been a South Sydney tragic since uh, <laughs> since the early 80s. It was actually during the Winfield Cup time for uh, the old New South Wales Rugby League. It became fashionable in Perth to wear rugby league jerseys. So when I was at high school, when I was about 14, I purchased a South Sydney jersey because I'd never seen a team playing in red and green and called the rabbits and when i watched them in a game they were just they were intense they were uh they were great i fell in love with them and the sport immediately i didn't know about that that's incredible it's pretty cool and it just goes to show that rabbitos brand um is pretty like in terms of when it comes to rugby league probably the most well-known around the world but that's an awesome story we can't all be perfect mate rabbitos fan but that's okay you guys are having an okay <laughs> season <laughs> Mate, and I just, wanna, all right. <laughs> I just want to—I just want to say it's an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, I, I'm not—I don't mean to piss in your pocket, but the things that you're doing uh, in Serbia and in Europe in particular is just incredible and groundbreaking in many areas. So there's plenty of questions that I want to talk to you about. I want to dive deep into the Balkan Super League and what's been going on over there, and give our listeners a real good insight into what's happening. I want to talk about, of course, your club, Red Star Belgrade Rugby League, um, and we can talk a little bit about Serbia and your role. 
uh, with the Rugby League European Federation as well. So plenty to talk about, man, and we might as well kick off with maybe a little bit of Balkan Super League. Yeah, sure. Look, the Balkan Super League was a dream of a number of people and being ambitious and optimistic, it became very quickly a dream of mine as well. And we've been committed to that for the last two years. This is the second season. So, you know, very soon there'll be a pair of semifinals in, in Belgrade. Pa- uh, Partizan will play the Aris Eagles, who came second in our pool. And we will play the Karakoy Bulls from Turkey. From Istanbul, they came second in the pool with uh, uh, from Partizan's group. So, really, really looking forward to that, and we're hopeful for a good future for the Balkan Super League. But there, there will probably be changes next year, particularly at what we call the elite level, um, because each of the countries—Greece, uh, Serbia, and Turkey—in particular, really need to focus on their domestic qualification strengths, their domestic competitions. So there's probably going to be some changes at that level next year, and we'll learn more about that over the coming months. But certainly at the what we call the championship level, at the second level, the sport has an excellent future across the Balkans because Bulgaria only have, say, one or two teams. Um, Albania are growing. They will have a second team very soon. There's one team in Montenegro. There's another team coming in Bosnia. There's an existing team from this year in Bosnia. So at what we'll call the championship level, there's an excellent future for it because each of those countries needs some support because they just simply don't have enough teams to to set up their own competitions yet. So where it has one or two uh, teams per country, we will continue to assist them. The other thing as well, Michael, from a geographical perspective, giving a little geographical lesson here, for a country like Australia, we sort of believe that, you know, places like, oh, it mustn't be that far from Istanbul to, to Belgrade, or it mustn't be that far from Athens to Belgrade. Well, Istanbul's about 1,200, 1,500 kilometres. And because of the money situation in the Balkans, we don't all have the money to fly, you know, even economy class all the time because all of these nations are pretty much self-funded. They get very, very small yearly grants. So the only money available for each of those nations is really to cater for any international competition that is sanctioned by either the RLIF or the RLEF. Most of the games between the nations in between proper European competitions and uh, Rugby League World Cup qualifiers are self-funded by the nations. Yep. So, you know, any, any grant is gone for just those perspectives and there's effectively no grant whatsoever from central funding for club. You've, you've touched on so many important points here and I want to de- take a deep dive into a few of those Firstly, like we can understand how important the Balkan Super League is for the region and how ambitious the league it is as well. You've touched on how how uh, geographically it's such a huge region that you're sort of representing. I don't think there'd be a, a competition in the world that sort of covers so many countries. It's fantastic. Um, what does what? Why is this so important for the region? And I think you've touched on it a little bit as well. So let, can we talk a little bit about that championship level? So are we are we saying or are you suggesting that maybe in future, the future of Balkan Super League is to have the nations that don't have a full competition, 
this becoming their primary competition. But the likes of Serbia, Greece and Turkey, who have fully fledged competitions up to, you know, eight to ten teams, that they focus more on their domestic side rather than Balkan Super League in future. Or, or is it more? Yeah, go for, go for it. Try and explain it to me because I want to really understand it. Look, this is it's all early, so I'm now talking, and perhaps this, this, you know, I hope it's not seen as being out of school. But I think the future for the for this competition in the short term, before we get any sponsorship, and it's difficult to get. Well, I'll, I'll separate the sponsorship in a minute. Yeah, sure. The the key issue is for the the local clubs, as you just said, that don't have their own competitions. And I think if you look at the Serbian second division, there's also a big gap in, in quality between the second division clubs in Serbia and the first division clubs. So we have a very similar problem. If Red Star Belgrade or if Partizan or if Tashmaid and Tigers, once they get going, or Radnički Niš, those are the four big clubs at the moment in Serbia. If yep. any of those four clubs play second division teams from the Serbian competition, they'll beat them by about 50 to 60 points, absolute minimum. Yep. Um, Red Star would probably, Red Star and Partizan probably closer to 80. Yep. So, you know, those sides at the moment are very, very strong, the top four teams in the Serbian competition, and there's a big drop off to our second division. The matches between the second division clubs and, say, Tirana Rugby or Lokomotiv Sofia or yep. Yuzhny Region, which is South Region Montenegro, or Fishvites from uh, uh, Bosnia, those matches are actually really close. And for people to get involved from a sponsorship perspective, you also need a competition where you're not sure who's going to be the winner. So, yep. you know, on the weekend, we'll talk a little bit later about London Nines, perhaps, if we get time. One Definitely. of the wonderful things about that was during the day, I was part of the commentary team and the broadcasting for that. When we were talking about who was going to win various uh, leagues, we changed our mind four times during the eight hours that the, the contest was on. And I yep. think what happens from that, mate, is when you get a contest, it's like the NRL. Everybody's got an idea who could play in the grand final. And I think most people that you'd ask at the moment would pretty much say Roosters versus Melbourne Storm with perhaps people leaning towards the Roosters. But you wouldn't be surprised if Canberra got in. If Canberra played to their ability and they, they match the Roosters in a match, you wouldn't be surprised if they beat them. And if Souths get going again like they were in the first half, half of the season, again, you wouldn't be surprised. Or Manly, even, if they managed to finish top four above South Sydney. It, you know, the Trubojevic brothers, if they play really well and Cherry Evans has a big game, you can have... You've got that excitement in the NRL where you don't really know who's going to win the competition. You're right. And we've even... We, we've seen the Bulldogs upset teams and they were coming second last not long ago, so anything can happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but and I guess with the Balkan Super League, especially this year, it's been quite predictable. And and Red Star Belgrade, your team, they've beaten teams by up to I guess eighty points, as you've mentioned. We sort of predict that they can go all the way. I won't I won't say they will because I don't want to I don't want to uh, to jinx it for you. But it would everyone would probably be expecting them to win. Um, and the teams that are there in that top four, it's probably been predictable as well. I guess it's fantastic to see sides from Greece and Turkey up there as well. 
uh, Category have improved in leaps and bounds. So have Aris under Stuart McLennan. They've done an incredible, incredible job. What type of audience do you guys reach uh, over there? So when we're talking about, you mentioned like trying to attract sponsors for next year and things like that. Let, let's get into like what sort of audience you guys reach and and I guess what how that could be a benefit to any potential sponsors that might be out there because you never know who's listening to the show. Yeah, for sure. Look, when we have a broadcast that we've promoted for a few weeks beforehand, there's time to have that professional social media content. The broadcast all goes without a hitch. We've been getting over 30,000 viewers on Facebook, particularly for a Red Star versus Partizan match. Yeah, And that's their excellent numbers. You know, I've reviewed earlier this year that the highest rating championship match and all of them have been effectively Toronto playing somebody else because Toronto Wolfpack have been paying for the broadcast uh, transmission for each of those. The highest earlier this year was 58,000 viewers on Sky Sports. So if we're getting 30,000 on Facebook, 30,000 views of a match, that's... That's pretty phenomenal stuff when you consider the level that we're sitting versus the level of the championship and in particular a club of Toronto Wolfpack's ambition and size. There's definitely potential there and I think there's just something about Serbia and and Red Star in particular where international rugby league fans like myself were just intrigued to see how that can grow and watching it grow so quickly. Out of those, like, say, say there's 30,000 watching a particular match, do you have any indication of data as to where these people are coming from? Are they, are they based in Serbia? Are there a lot of people like myself in Australia or people in the UK that are watching along? Do you have that sort of data? Yeah, we do. Look, it's a really good spread, actually, because over 55% of our fans currently on our, on our Facebook page, we've got 14,410 fans and follow, well, probably more followers. I haven't seen that recently, but over 55% of them are in Serbia, are domiciled in Serbia. They live here. So that, these are fantastic numbers for people viewing the games. And we're finding more and more that people in Serbia know who we are. So, for example, as you know, Michael, taxi drivers are a barometer for the heartbeat of any city. <laughs> yep. And whenever I come to Serbia, I ca- I, whenever I have to go for meetings, I, I catch taxis because I'm time poor and need to be in certain places at certain times. So a few years ago, when I first started and got involved with Red Star in particular in 2017, I would always talk to the taxi drivers in the local language and I'd ask them whether they heard of Rugby League. And in 2017, the answer unanimously was no, haven't heard of it. But to be honest now, mate, 90% of the taxi drivers I talked to they know who are, who I'm talking about. They've heard of it, and they've you know there was one time I was sitting. Oh, it's a great little story for you, actually. We <laughs> just played Lancashire. Yep. At at the Maracana at Red Star's home ground. So we played on a small training field behind because you know it'll be a long time before we play on the main stadium. But we'd been there for a few drinks afterwards with the Lancashire boys. It was a wonderful wonderful event and we played pretty well and I walked away from that stadium for the first time you know that feeling it's about 11 o'clock at night you've had a massive day we acquitted ourselves very very well and we're a little bit unlucky to lose by by a larger margin 
than what the game had indicated. And I got into the taxi and I sat down and started talking with, with the driver. And he said to me, we were just sitting there talking about it and we'd heard on the radio the score and they were all talking about what we were doing. And as we were driving into the centre of Belgrade with the lights and the, you know, the atmosphere, he pulls out this big flask of uh, clear water and he says would you like Arakia just to celebrate and I thought <laughs> I feel like I've been given the keys to the city it was a moment of immense pride so that is incredible and and you know it's a story that people from around the world would never expect after a rugby league game so that's fantastic what sort of crowd so what sort of crowds what was the crowd for that game what sort of crowds do you guys get out there look to be honest our crowds have fallen off and I'll give you the open and honest reasons for that. There yep. are two matches here, and this includes the Balkan Super League as well. And this is this is a key reason in my mind, this is one of the key reasons why we're not getting sponsorship. It's because we don't know when we're going to play. Yep. So in some instances, games have been changed up to 24 hours before the event. So it makes it almost impossible for you you to promote it to a wider public. So when we've promoted and we've done stuff and the game, everybody's known and had that full confidence that the game would be held in four weeks, there have been crowds that have been over 500 persons. Yeah. For the last year and a half, that just hasn't happened. And I think that's the biggest enemy of us at the moment. It is a massive issue. And I know a lot of people, they ask me questions online on social media um, from you know many competitions about many competitions around the world, one of the most common one is when's the next round of Balkan Super League, or when's Red Star playing, or when's Lignano Sharks playing, and things like that. And I guess that's been the biggest issue that you've had to compete with this year. Um, we've seen a couple of teams have to forfeit games, especially in that round three. So I know Lignano Sharks, I believe they forfeited a match against uh, Red Star. And I think Katakoi had a match that was forfeited. I forget the team that they were meant to be playing, but these games, I guess, so how does that work? So do the teams have, the round is set, there's a date that they need to have played their game by, and if they miss that date, it counts as a forfeit. Is that how that works? No, and that, that's probably the issue. And look, yep. I understand, because you know, we're dealing with an amateur sport. We're dealing yep. with largely an amateur sport. So Red Star's semi-professional at the moment. Everybody else is strictly amateur. So what the guys have done, and this is, this is one of those moments in life where everybody's tried to do the right thing, but yep. it's one of those moments where it's just turned out to be wrong, and it has created a little bit of tension. So earlier in the year, what we were doing was we sat down and said, guys, Let's try and do one match a month, set everything up so that round one commences in, in April, round two in May, uh, and round three in June. That way, everybody's got time to organise between. So that was fine, but then all of a sudden, due to you know in, changes with international calendars, other things going on, Teams started to talk to each other and say, oh, we can't play it on this weekend now. Can we shift it for two weeks? And then you get a little bit of Chinese whispers where they come back and say, look, we can't do it two weeks. Can we make it three? Then it's, you know, the other team comes back and says, well, we can't come then. And then it starts to drag out. And unfortunately, two of the matches you mentioned, one was actually Lignano versus Aris, 
that's, that's correct. Got, that's uh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. That got uh, canned. And the other match that was canned was Partizan versus Kadikoi. And I don't want to go into too many of the reasons for it. It, it. I think it should all just be left. But each of those teams, you know, felt a little bit aggrieved because one shifted once and then the other one shifted. And, you know, there's, there's truth and, and areas of grey in the whole lot. The biggest thing that I feel sorry for in all of this, the, the Lignano-Aris match didn't really matter. So if that had have gone ahead, it wouldn't have changed the composition of the finals. Yep. But the match between Karakoy and Partizan had a massive effect on Radnitschkinish because if Partizan had won, then Radnitschkinish would have been in the finals. Correct. So, you know, that's, a, that, that's an unfortunate one where the integrity of the competition has suffered a little bit. I think we need to be honest and open about that. And we're now all talking about ways to make it better. So all of the major, we'll call them the major nations in this area, Turkey, Greece, Italy, and and Serbia, for our major clubs, we're now talking about, look, it would probably be better next year. We just play a cup or the winners of competitions play each other in a special trophy at that level because of the issues with um, uh, a, a couple of forfeits sort of really impacting the integrity of the competition. And that's not what we want, mate. We were trying to set something up professionally to have, uh, to have some form of sponsorship. And I know some people are disappointed that we didn't get it, but I've spoken with people and they won't sponsor unless we all, we all you know, show dedication to dates. And we fulfil those fixtures and we show that we have crowds and those sort of things. You know, part of the issue, and this isn't the fault at all with Greece because we all know the political situation there. But, for example, when we went for the RS versus uh, uh, Red Star match, we couldn't say when we were playing. We had to almost uh, uh, hide the fact that we were playing. And then, you know, when we came in with cameras, everybody was really concerned. They're saying, don't broadcast it right away, broadcast it after the match and pretend it's live the next day. You can't go to a sponsor and say, you know, we played a match in a basically a locked stadium, nobody came because we couldn't tell anybody, but hey, will you sponsor us for 45,000 euro next year because everybody mm. needs needs some professionalism. Yeah, right? yeah. That, that Greek situation is just unique and hopefully that settles itself soon. Um, I know they're, they're working hard behind the scenes with the new government over there. So hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, Greece have nothing to worry about with that sort of thing in future. But th- there's just some made these concerns, I guess, they're unique ones um, for a rugby league competition. And I guess, the, we, and we've spoke, you and I have spoken about this off air in the past and on, on um, through direct, direct messages on Facebook and things like that. But the idea of having... I remember hearing earlier in the year a Continental Cup style where it's more of a Challenge Cup knockout tournament. So is that what you're saying for the top tier? We could see the champions of Serbia uh, in a competition with the champions of Greece and the champions of Italy and the champions of Turkey in more of a knockout style tournament. Dates are confirmed. And, um, yeah, and we can sort of build that up over a 12-month period. Yeah, look, we need to see the will of everybody to to do things because the biggest thing that we need to remember is, or there's probably two big things. Each of the domestic competitions needs 
to be strong. Yep. So if everybody says to each other, look, at the end of this season, this is a great idea, but there's no money. We all need to make sure our domestic competitions are stronger. I have full sympathy with the, the, the Greek uh, contingent, for example, if they say, listen, this is all too much of a risk for us. The sport is still in, in its political situation. It's better that we just concentrate on playing local matches. The yep. same for the Turkish contingent because they have, they have another specific problem where they have to use planes to come to a country like Serbia. They yep. cannot use buses because they have to then get visas to come into EU countries on transit because they're landlocked from Mars. They're surrounded uh, yep. by Bulgaria and Greece and Macedonia and they have to come through at least two separate uh, EU nations to make it across to, to Serbia. So that's a big issue for them as well. It's just so fascinating that the challenges that the Balkan Super League has is so unique. Like you just wouldn't even, sitting over here in Sydney, you would never imagine issues like that, you know. So it's it's incredible the challenges that you guys face. And just a, like congratulations on just getting it to the point that it is. And um, like anything, like it's always, there's always going to be teething problems with something like this, especially so young. But I know that, the clubs in Serbia, the clubs in Turkey have grown, like, it's been an absolutely phenomenal sort of step up for Turkey in the last couple of years. And I want to talk about them more and more as uh, in future weeks as well. But, and obviously Greece and Italy and, and all those other nations that we mentioned earlier, there's so much going on over there. Let's, let's talk about the sponsorship thing because, so obviously there's, there's no sponsor for the tournament right now. Is that correct? That's correct. And you'd be looking, when we're talking sponsorship, you mentioned like 45,000 euros. Are we talking about, would, would, the, would the sponsorship dollars, what sort of use would that, what sort of, where would that be put? Like, are we talking about helping teams travel and ensuring dates are, are, are set in stone? Is that what the sponsorship money would be used for? Oh, oh for sure. And look, I just pulled 45,000 euro off the top of my yeah. head. I had yeah thought about that before we started the conversation but you know pending how many rounds you what you'd like to do is have a central fund where when each team commits when each team books the, you know everybody it's very similar to how the RLEF operate with the European Championship yep. very similar to how the RLIF operate in the Rugby League World Cup so you would be seeking each team to commit and show your bookings and then once the bookings are done you just pay that out of a central fund and then have a bit of money left over some, for some prize money. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm assuming you're speaking to potential sponsors at the moment, or you're at least um, you're at least pitching. Let, let's let's use this as a bit of an open forum as well, because like I say, you never know who's listening to this podcast. W what sort of companies would benefit to helping out? The beauty is, as you mentioned before, it's a global audience now that's watching what we're doing. So anybody who wants access to people across the Balkans, given that probably over 50% of the viewers are, are located in the Balkans, if you get a, a Katakoi versus Red Star match, you will get a very, very big contingent of people watching from Serbia and from Turkey. Turkey's a massive market. That's very exciting. But if you want some exposure to, to England and also to Australia, brilliant market, absolutely. Absolutely brilliant market. And we shouldn't walk away from the fact, I know there's a few detractors around on social media that sort of talk about 
you know, just being an M62 in Australian sport. Yes, it's got a massive tradition and history in those locations. And yes, we do have a lot of people interested in those two locations. So it's important that there is a bit of a pitch towards that because those are the people that have more dispensable income than people in Serbia and in Turkey. Yep. And they, they're the ones who tend to buy the jerseys and tend to buy, you know, those sort of things. But, you know, the promotion can be to both locations. That's incredible. And before we move on to sort of talking about Red Star and other topics as well, if there is a potential sponsor out there, how could they get in touch with you to, to talk about the possibility and the opportunity? Look, I think I'm starting to become fairly visible and I'm working hard on my social media presence. It's something that I've never wanted to do. I'm actually quite introverted, which <laughs> sounds funny given I can, I can talk the, you know, the, the handle off of a door when I, I speak with people that I'm comfortable with. But I'm learning more and more that I have to get out there. I have to do my own interviews, occasional podcasts, uh, lots of videos. I get involved in the commentary now because I just absolutely love the sport. I feel like I've got a fairly good feel for it as well. So I, I think I've got a, a relative presence now. People can get in direct contact and have a chat and what's good is we've got our own social media we've got our own marketing company underneath the red star belgrade rugby league club we've got our own broadcasting and production so we're a very vertically integrated business and i have no qualms about calling this a business because it's very important that we operate as a business if it's if it's just <coughs> sorry if it's just a benefactor who's chucking money in every year, there's no future to that, mate. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, it's all over. I yeah. don't want Red Star to be like that. I want it to be set up that it has some revenue and should, you know, hopefully I've got a few more years left in me, should something happen, that it can continue on. So tell us a little bit about, and I'll put some uh, some links in our show notes as well if anyone would like to get in touch, but an interesting um little point there that you mentioned tell me a little bit about the marketing company and the and the uh, broadcasting company that sort of fit in in the business yeah well we set up here over here in serbia we've set up something called sort of any kangaroo media which basically is red kangaroo yep. so we've got social media people operating fairly constantly myself and marina in perth marina's my wife um and also the people here so what's great and plus matthew wright who's also a director so what's really good is we have a constant presence on social media because we're operating in three different time zones so that's probably why we look really active it's not just that we've got a number of people who work it's that we operate across those time zones so that when the people in serbia are asleep and i uh, get bored between doing reports <laughs> for engineering clients i'll just chuck something up quickly on on social media and it, it it keeps us very very active throughout the day so that's why we've grown really quickly in that regard because we're constantly active with the media company with the broadcasting we knew that with social media and the way things were going two years ago, we made a decision very, very quickly. We knew that we wouldn't get television interest in, in the region with the way things were at the time. So we set up to start broadcasting ourselves directly to Facebook 
And over the last couple of years, Michael, we've built that up into, it's honestly, it is actually an asset. It's an asset that in the next few years, I think people are going to be surprised the intrinsic value that that could, could grow to. So we're just going to keep working at that. We're going to keep working at the art. Last weekend in London was the first time we operated four cameras, two situated in goal, two situated together on a gantry about five metres above the ground, you know, one of them having like a panorama-type view, the second focusing in on the tackle and the blade of ball. And in the last six months, I've been studying this not only traditional broadcasting methodology for how you set your cameras, what you need to be looking at, where they need to be positioned, what the purpose of each of the cameras is. Because what was interesting, mate, I learned very recently that while you might have, say for the NRL, you might have eight to 15 cameras pending the game. Yep. There's one main camera that's used 70% of the time. You only use the sideline cameras for specific sideline action to check out whether there's a foot on the sideline or somebody goes into touch. You only use the two uh, cameras that are in the end goal, uh, the try zones. You only use them when you see the ball being put down. The main split is the two cameras you have around the halfway. As I said a moment ago, one that focuses in on the play the ball one that focuses in on the tackle. And then as soon as that tackle's completed and you move the ball from dummy half, you go straight back out to a wider pan that probably goes about two passes left and right of the ruck. These were really, really interesting things to sit down. So I now watch sport completely differently to the way <laughs> yeah. I used to watch it about a year ago. I'm constantly sitting now watching. I watch every NRL game. And I constantly sit and think about, oh, that, you know, that, that view there looks really good. Or, you know, if you used a drone, okay, we need to purchase, maybe we purchase a drone for two and a half thousand euro or three thousand, four thousand Australian dollars. But it's only good to utilize it for, you know, a reconnaissance of the ground, maybe once or twice during the game, because you, you don't need it more than that. So we're just setting these sort of goals now in terms of purchase when we need them, as we're starting to get revenue through uh, through Sports Flick and through our uh, subscriber-based system. That's incredible. I've heard myself as well, like four cameras, is you can do a lot with four cameras. And I've seen, I watched through Sports Flick, I will say, I watched the London Nines or a few games over the weekend until it was time for me to go to bed because I had to, <laughs> you know, have the young kids that wake up no matter what at 6am. So I need to be ready for that. But I did watch that and the camera work, um, this is a little bit separate to sports flick, but the camera work at the USARL grand final was fantastic as well. So it's it's incredible that we do see this level of quality at an amateur or a semi-pro sort of level on Facebook or on, on an app or on social media. Um, it's a lot better, uh, you know, often when we're, when we're watching live streams um, from around the world, uh, it's not uncommon to see maybe someone recording on their iPhone or something like that. So to start to see a little bit more professionalism in broadcast on Facebook, I certainly think that's the future, definitely. And that's where, when we talk about sponsorship and things like that, if you can start to get a massive audience on Facebook, we're only starting to really understand what what that can be all about and what those benefits are. Let's talk a little bit about Red Star and, and you know, the London Nines. Um, over the weekend, it was pretty cool to watch and some some incredible nations involved. Red Star obviously didn't win the trophy. It's probably one of the first times that they haven't won the trophy because you guys are used to winning these things. 
Can you can you talk us through a little bit of the success that, that Red Star Belgrade Rugby League have had in the last couple of years in particular? Oh, look, you, you know what? I, I might focus more on the second half of your question and focus on, on more the lack of success when we move abroad and play either in Eng- well in England. I love that um, that's how you're answering this question. Let, go for it. Go for it. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Look, it, it's in a lot of respects not detracting from anything locally within Serbia or within the Balkan region, given the investment that we've made as a club, you know, we should. We should win those games. And again, not wanting to detract from anybody else, particularly with what we did over the last one and a half years, um, you know, it's, it's not something that I should sit down and say, oh, that's a defining moment of my life. I mean, the fact that, I've, you know, we've thrown well over six figures at what we've been doing in the last year and a half, well, Michael, in all honesty, so we bloody well should have won. It's all—it's almost like we're, you know, at, at this level, we've all, almost become like a Manchester City or, you know, somebody like that throwing that much more money at, at it than everybody else. When you do that, there's only one expectation, mate. You should yep. win. So the bigger test now comes for us. It comes for us in two, two forms. Because we're not used to playing at the constant week-in, week-out level that the teams in England and the Heartlands play at, when we go over and play either English opposition uh, in or even UK opposition, we have the same problem when we play the Welsh teams, when we play an open Scotland team or an open Irish team. We have big issues when we play those sides because we're simply not used to playing that level of rugby league constantly. Now, the second thing with our team is also they're not used to being tested necessarily. So when the game's close, when you're under fatigue, you start to look for every human being when they're under fatigue starts to look for different, easier options. So for Red Star Belgrade, you know, if you're winning 40 points to nil and there's a little bit of a... you know, flow change in the game of rugby league. You drop the ball a few times. You give away a couple of penalties. You know, so you should be able to hold the defence out. It's a little bit different when the score is 18 points to 14. You were really pushing to get back into the game. And then you give away, you know, you drop a ball on a 20-metre line in your half of the field. Then you give away the penalty. That's the moment where you look at your boys or your girls and you look at them and say, How's the body language looking? Oh, no, they're gone. Or, wow, they, they might hold this out and then get another second wind. So in the first match, we played Edinburgh Eagles in the first match. I was immensely proud of the display that our team put on on the weekend on the London Nines because they won very well. They beat a team, you know, they beat the Scottish champions, the domestic champions. Yep. They beat a team that was also in round one of the Challenge Cup. And as you know, mate, everything comes from first steps. It comes from baby steps. So whenever a Serbian, any Serbian team had played an English or a UK opposition in particular, we always looked at that and we were semi-defeated before we went out there. We were thinking, geez, we've never won a game against this type of opposition. It's going to be really hard. You know how you start thinking those things and they start manifesting themselves at various points in the game. I was disappointed with how we played against Millam, for example. Within 15 minutes, I turned to my wife. We were watching at home in Perth, and I said, 
we're not going to have to pay for round two, they're gone. <laughs> yep. Yep, so yep. We talked about those sort of mental things and we talked about that a lot before the start of uh, yesterday, uh, Sunday's London Nines. And at halfway point of the day, we'd won three matches and played three matches. We were unbeaten. There were people talking to me involved with the game saying, Colin, what, what are you worried about? There's no example of this of this uh, momentum change and how your team's going to react to it that you've been talking about. We think you're the you're absolute nailed on to, to bring home a trophy. And I said, guys, let's look at how they behave when they're fatigued and when they're under pressure. And sure enough, you know, against the Welsh Mighty Ducks who are aligned with the North Wales Crusaders, but then he even more so in the final match where we had to lose by about 10 but ended up losing by 16, we the, the body language wasn't right. So these are things that we need to work on. I'm really, really uh, focused now on working on our mentality, on our mental strength and on our fitness because we're just not used to playing that level of opposition game in, game out, week in, week out, and that's where we need to get to. Mate, you mentioned uh, the Welsh Mighty Ducks, which I'm glad you did. I spoke to Billy Forrester, their captain, uh, yesterday. And I've I got to tell you, like, you guys have an awesome reputation. The fact that they beat Red Star Belgrade, that was like the biggest thing that happened for them that weekend. Like he was just, he was so proud of his team for having achieved that. So I think, you know, you might talk down some of the success that you've had, but you've certainly put the team on the map. And I know that especially after three wins in the uh, the first three wins in the London Nines over the weekend, all the teams were gunning for you. And, and you know, everyone sort of turns up when they're playing the better side. So, mate, I, I think you guys can be con congratulated for that. Let's talk a little bit about Challenge Cup because you mentioned the game against Milliman. I had the same sort of feeling. I got up early to watch that game. I think it was about 12 or 1 in the morning uh, from memory. And I remember in that first 15 minutes thinking, okay, should I go to bed or should I persist with this? And I ended up persisting. And I'm, I'm glad I did because I feel like I feel like Red Star performed well um, after the first 15 and before the last 15. That was really a period where, where your boys handled themselves really well. And I think the match that you had recently against the Lanc Lancashire side was a big improvement on that Miller match. Oh, what yes. What, what what sort of systems and what's being put in place at the moment to make sure that the side can improve? Um, and is Challenge Cup on the radar again for next year? And if so, will you be better? Yeah, the key thing, as, as I mentioned before with the previous uh, question, is the mental aspect of it. Once you get players up at a certain level, a lot of it becomes, sport becomes mental. It becomes that ability to operate under fatigue. It becomes the body language that you exhibit when you're under fatigue. And that's just a matter of repetition, repetition, and then becoming sort of solid learning. So we want to train the players, and this has been talked about this year in the and last year in the NRL, uh, having training sessions that operate at 110% of game speed. Yep. Getting your players to learn and embrace the feeling of fatigue much more often. So for us to be competitive next year in our first Challenge Cup match, and it, it's hard. I mean, you know, in a lot of respects, we were lucky with the draw, no disrespect to Millen, but Millen are an NCL3 team. You know, we could have picked up 
one of the great NCL Premier teams in that first round, which yep. if we had performed like that, it would have been, it would not have been good for our short-term future. So these are the things that I have to, I have to think about. I also, to be honest as well, I also made an error with the way we had set up the travel for Millen and the amount of time that we had in England before the match. So the boys left Belgrade because we couldn't go direct from Belgrade. We took off in a bus on, I think it was the Friday. It was in the afternoon. We travelled to Budapest in Hungary, which is a four-hour drive. We then assembled at uh, Budapest Airport, uh, you know, two and a half hours before the flight. So you then take... Then take another two and a half hour flight to get across to Doncaster, Sheffield. You assemble then at the airport, and then there was a five hour bus trip to Millen. So effectively, the boys spent as long as I do in a you know in transit from Perth to Belgrade. Yeah. Now yeah. I think next time I don't think I can change that unless I, I suddenly become rich and, and am able to uh, uh, you know charter an airplane direct to the location. But, um, yeah, I don't think I can change that. But what I can change is we need to come in two to three days earlier. Then the boys can recover for a day, then start getting some specific training in, in the location, and then be better acclimatised. Well, it's all part of the learning curve. And and speaking of that, um, earlier this year, you and I spoke a little bit about a mentorship style program between the club and the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Has anything progressed with that? Are you guys learning anything from, from the Rabbitohs or is there any, any further support since we spoke? I think it was maybe February, March this year. Succinctly, no. Fair enough. Okay. So <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. It's a shame because I was very excited about it when I heard about it. But, um, so but, but that's well, as a Souths fan, you would have been very excited. Do, do you ever try and, you know, from a marketing perspective, tap into like the Trebojevic brothers or the Kotricks or the Opacheks of the world and things like that? Because there's certainly a lot of um, more, probably more Serbian heritage players in the NRL at the moment. Do you guys try and sort of look at their success and see if you can sort of inspire the youngsters in, in Belgrade? Certainly we talk about it. Um, on the other side, I certainly don't contact them because I don't, th- I don't think they need that. I don't think they deserve yep. that. I don't think they, you know, I just think it's completely inappropriate to, to be sending messages to those guys constantly asking for help, assistance, etc., etc. The biggest thing for us, yes, we talk about them to our people in Serbia domestically to promote the domestic growth of the game. And Serbs are a very, very proud people like many, many nationalities around the world. If you bring over 10, 12 Australians, they will not care. They will not care about it. Whereas if you tell them there are Serbians who play and you show them videos and you show them pictures and you show them news articles, they sort of look at that and go, oh, I didn't realise that we had some Serbs playing this game. I didn't even hear of this game before. (laughs) So that's worked very, very well for us. We've promoted that just locally. Have a look at these people. They're really, really good. We certainly don't say that they're behind Serbian Rugby League. We certainly don't use their names out of context. 
anything to do with, with Red Star Belgrade. But occasionally, if there's something nice, like, for example, we ran some nice social media promo when the boys got selected earlier this year for New South Wales Origin, simply to say that we're proud. We're proud of Serbian diaspora being selected for New South Wales Origin. End of story. Just interrupting the chat to remind you about your exclusive discount code at mascordbrowns.com and mascordbrowns.com.au. Use Kangaroo Court, that's Kangaroo, C-A-U-G-H-T, at checkout for 10% off your International Rugby League swag. Now back to the chat with Colin, where I ask him if he felt the gap between Red Star and the other Serbian clubs could actually hinder his club's future success, and would they be better served facing teams from nations like Wales and France? Yeah, look, it's a really, really good question. I mean, one of the biggest issues for us is is what we do with international players. For example, Darcy Etrich went home earlier this year by mutual consent. He's a, he's a young man, certainly compared to me, but he's getting towards the end of his career. And as he said at the time, he wants to play in a, in a league that is, is challenging while he still has the ability to do so, and that's completely understandable. And I think we all sat down and had an honest chat. You know, what we did last year was excellent. We set down a marker. We didn't know what would happen at the start of the year if we bought in three international players. At the end of that year, but at the end of 2018, we now know what happens when we bring in international players. So yep. the Serbian domestic players have learned a lot by playing with you know, good international players. We've had a couple of Australians. We've had a couple of... Uh, we had a Scottish international, uh, yep. you know, future international. He was a schoolboy international. He played for us again on the weekend at the London Nines, which was amazing. He actually also played yep. every game for the Edinburgh Eagles as well. So it was a phenomenal oh, well. effort for Sam Heron. The only game he didn't play for both was uh, when we played against... When you played Edinburgh. each other. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It would have looked a little bit strange had he's gone off and then uh, turned up with the opposite jersey running back at us. So, um, The short-term future for us is to concentrate now almost 99% on our domestic players. And that that's also going to happen by virtue of this World Cup uh, requalification due to the really unfortunate circumstance of rugby league being in tremendous danger in Russia. But we now will focus solely on our domestic systems. I've been a little bit disappointed this year, to be honest. I think we've actually dropped the ball a little bit on our KPIs for domestic junior development. So we'll now work on that. We've got somebody new running that system for us and we're going to set specific KPIs about the number of eight-year-olds that are going to play within the next year and then the number of probably 14 and 16-year-olds that should be playing for our club within the next year. And then over the following years, as the eight-year-olds get older, you start to bridge that gap between eight and 14. So that'll be a five-year process. But six to eight-year-old children, boys and girls, are so important from my perspective. They are so important. I know in, in smaller domestic countries like Serbia, everybody's focused on finding 16 to 18-year-olds because within three years they could be internationals. I understand that, that problem. It's a lack of resources in running people, but it's, it's a short-term perspective that if you want to make the sport an actual domestic sport, you've got to get six- and eight-year-olds playing it because six- and eight-year-olds have to bring their parents 
Yep. 14 and 16 year olds don't bring their parents. In fact, Michael, <laughs> they don't want their parents. They don't want their parents there. It's embarrassing. So if you want to get a wider view and a wider, you have to bring young children into the game because it brings their parents. It's almost like for every person at 16 years of age you bring into the game, for an eight-year-old, you bring in at least three more because you bring in both their parents, hopefully, and maybe a sibling. The other side of that is when you're getting six-year-olds playing rugby league, then they are growing up learning the natural skills of the game, which is something that a lot of other developing nations, they do not have. So you've got, by the time they turn 16, 18, 21, 23, you, you potentially have an ex- exceptional squad that could be maybe T2 level at World Cups. Oh, I don't want to, I won't, I won't make such a bold prediction, but let's talk about World Cups actually, because you've touched on it as well. And it's a good, a good segue, but Serbia have now been given a second chance to qualify for 2021 and I've heard you in the past talk about how important World Cup qualification or or a World Cup could be for the nation of Serbia in terms of rugby league development let's talk about this second chance mate how did it all come about and and what are you expecting over the next couple of months look the the first part that I want to say and that is very very important everybody yep. knows that I'm strongly involved with Serbian rugby league I'm also an RLEF director Yep. I have a massive conflict of interest, even today, talking about this issue. I want to make it absolutely clear that the RLEF board was asked for their opinions on this. I immediately abstained from voting, immediately abstained from voting under the conflict of interest clause. So I want to make that very, very clear to anybody who's listening. Yep. And I'll make very clear to anybody who sends me a message. I abstained from the whole process. The only process that I got involved with was saving Russia. My whole focus in all of the discussion was how do we help Russia either get into a position where it can fulfil these qualifiers or should the other directors make the decision with Russia because it's Russia's issue, and Denis Kotolev has, has done a very bold thing and said, guys, we're not, we're not able to fulfil this. So his honesty should be applauded. Yep. And given that they pulled out, Serbia was the team to replace them, and that was decided by others. But my whole focus now is on how do we rebuild rugby league in Russia? I can vouch for you on that one. We've spoken in the past about some, some little money-raising exercises that your club uh, and and those around you have have undertaken to help get Russian a Russian side playing in Belgrade and things like that. So there's no doubting that. And uh, if anyone does, then yeah, they can probably get in touch and you'll you'll let them know exactly the truth. But um, how, how what does this mean for Serbia? Because I'm sure it's all quite new. It's it's only this sort of got this news was leaked yesterday uh, at the time of recording. So it's all fairly new. It's kind of coincidental that. I'm speaking to you today. Actually, it's 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 uh, it's interesting, but um, but what does it mean for Serbia? And and what are your chances against Scotland in Glasgow on October 26, and Greece in Belgrade on November 9? Firstly, what it means for Serbia, it means it means the world without putting too much of a pun on it, because Serbia has a real strong history in a number of sports. It's you know, obviously got a football tradition. Yeah. And it's, you know, whether footballs, football and basketball are probably the two, I'd call them tier one sports in, in Serbia. It's, 
you know, regardless of whether Serbia qualifies for a World Cup, particularly in football, it doesn't matter. It is the national sport. It's the number one sport here, and it always will be. Yep. Basketball, they're probably guaranteed, I think, to, to qualify for World Cups, and it would be a massive shock if they didn't. But still, even if they didn't, there's a massive tradition here of basketball. Then you get to the what I call, and I might be wrong with this, and I don't want to offend anybody, but from, from an outside perspective, I view the rest of the sports in Serbia as tier two and below. So yep. you've got great sports here like water polo that have a massive tradition in Serbia. Everybody gets really excited about it when it's a World Cup. So if Serbia are in a World Cup in water polo, people will watch, people will listen. It, you know, when the national team plays, they'll watch those European championships. The crowds at club level are much, much smaller, much, much smaller, very, very similar to the crowds that come for rugby league. Yep. Handball's another sport, again, superb tradition. One of the clubs, in fact, my wife was born in a town called Shabats, which is about 80 kilometres east of, uh, west of Belgrade, sorry, west. Um, that club there from a small town with about 130,000 people was twice the European champion. That's called Metaloplastica Shabats. Um, you know, massive tradition of sport in, in a lot of things. So when, you know, not, again, handball's similar, volleyball's very, very similar. Again, world champion women's and men's teams in both of those European champion teams. When, they, when Serbia plays and qualifies the World Cups in each of those sports, every Serb becomes an honorary fan of volleyball, water, water polo, uh, handball, etc., etc. I'm hopeful that World Cup qualification will do the same for rugby league. And it could be. in discussions with people, that's what we're hearing. That's fantastic news. It could be the shot in the arm they they, de they you deserve because, look, I, I agree that the Russian situation is a sad one, but I hope they take this opportunity to really rebuild and start fresh, and I think they can do that. There's certainly people on the ground that can do that, and there is a, there is an appetite, despite what people tell you, there's an appetite for our sport in Russia. I've spoken to some of the players, and, and that's exactly what they tell me. But I think there's no doubt that Serbia really deserves this chance because the work that, that people like yourself are doing is phenomenal. You know, I think you mentioned to me a few months ago that there's been, I think, 158 senior matches between Serbian clubs this year, which is just incredible. People would, people, like 99% of rugby league fans around the world wouldn't even know that stat. And um, you guys certainly deserve it. Mate, talk to me a little bit about the upcoming qualifying matches you, you've got you've got test matches against Canada later this year in men's and women's will they be affected at all now that you've got these qualifiers in play or will you be taking on all all challenges oh taking on all challenges because you know this is a very very important moment so very similar for Red Star the same applies for the Serbian national team the key is to play more and more matches against the level of opposition to which you aspire to become yourself. So if Serbia sits back now and doesn't have any high-profile matches, it goes into two massive World Cup qualifiers that define our immediate future, and it goes into them without any practice. So Canada is a massive opportunity for us to play. And then, obviously, Scotland in the last weekend of October and the second weekend of November for Greece in Belgrade. 
they are matches that we must prepare ourselves for physically and mentally. Mate, um, we mentioned a few NRL players with Serbian heritage in the past, and I know you haven't spoken to them directly, or they haven't they haven't been asked this question before. But what's the likelihood that some of them, if they're not playing for the Kangaroos, might be might be available for for Serbia? Should you guys make the World Cup? I don't want to take too many steps ahead, but I'm sure a lot of people would be asking similar questions. There's some discussion. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'd love to see. A Trebojevic. I know there's another Trebojevic brother out there. I'm sure uh, something like that would be fantastic. Well, Colin, mate, it's been incredible talking to you. I'm sure I could probably think of a thousand more questions once we get off the phone, but I just want to thank you for your honesty and your time um, because this is an area that I've been intrigued with for, for quite some time and I know a lot of our listeners just want to know more about, so it's great to have you on to, to discuss it all. Is there anything else before we say goodbye that you'd like to mention or, or, or talk about that I've forgotten? Any, anything that you want to shed some light on or, or advertise, um, let us know. Michael, we're, we're really thankful for all of the support that we're getting from around the world. Um, without that support, we wouldn't be growing at the level that we are. I just want to reconfirm that every cent that comes in to our club is utilised to develop the sport. It is utilised to develop the sport. I fly economy class. I, I pay for that myself separately. It is not used for lunches for directors. It is not used for upgrades. It is not used for anything of that nature. Every single cent that comes into our club from any person who purchases a jersey, who purchases a membership, who just gives us a couple of dollars for a raffle to help bring an international team over. You know, obviously, and we'll, we'll divulge this now, with the state of Russian Rugby League, they've told us even... We said we'd actually pay for them to come over and handle all costs. They simply can't come. There's, there's no... There's, there's no players available at present to come on the 20th of October. So that money's just been diverted straight to the Canada match on the 20th of September. Yep. 21st. Mate, fantastic. Like I said, we're all so proud of what's going on over there. We're watching with interest and I can't wait to see maybe Red Star winning Challenge Cup matches in the not too distant future and maybe Serbia in a World Cup in 2021. Let's see how we go. But Colin Clayweg. Mate, thank you for chasing kangaroos with me tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, mate. Anytime. Episode 36 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast is brought to you by the Memorial Bears, who are a unique rugby league club doing amazing things for bowel cancer awareness. And if you follow Chasing Kangaroos on Instagram, you may have seen our Memorial Bears pack promotion. And if you entered, well, this is the moment you've been waiting for. It's time to announce a winner. So just to let you guys know, inside the pack, you've got a Memorial Bears singlet, polo, and shorts. Now let me hit the button on our Instagram random, random comment selector. And I wish I had a cool sound effect for this. Here we go. At Joey does physio. Congratulations, man. And uh, yeah, now you'll be doing physio in your Memorial Bears polo, singlet, and shorts, mate. Uh, DM us on Instagram with your address and we'll have your prize sent out to you. Guys, it's time for Golden Points. But first, over to the founder, Josh Day, to let you know more about how you can get in touch with, with and support the Memorial Bears. Um, yeah, if anyone gets, wants to get in touch with us, um, all you need to do is check us, check us out on Instagram at Memorial Bears um, or Memorial Bears on Facebook. Um, mate, it's not just about creating awareness, but it's all about talking to people as well. And 
a lot of people have been through what our family has as well. And we've had a few messages and inboxes from different people who actually, you know, have a family member going through it at the moment or have been through it. So talking is key. So feel free, anyone's out there, inbox me, talk, mate, more than happy to. Golden point time, guys. Let's start in Auckland. It's grand final time for the SAS Fox Memorial Premiership and the Howick Hornets. They've booked their spot in the grand final after edging past Glenora 20 points to 18 in an absolute thriller. They'll take on the favourites Mount Albert Lions in the final at Mount Smart Stadium this week. So we'll have some results for you on the next episode. Guys, Golden Point over to London and congratulations to the 2019 London Nines champions. The Africa United uh, guys won the Open Men's Division. They defeated Roots Rugby from the USA in the final. Roots Rugby took out the women's final actually as well, so they defeated the the RAF UK side. And in the social division, the London Scholars beat Lithuania, who were playing their first ever rugby league tournament. So congratulations to all of those guys and all teams involved. Uh, The men's open division in particular was incredibly tight with the Roots and our friends at Red Star Belgrade. And, of course, the Welsh Mighty Ducks, all finishing equal second. Congratulations to everyone. It was a lot of fun. Apparently, really great, um, really great event. I got to watch a little bit of it as well, so that was pretty cool. A uh, bit of controversy uh, from what I heard from some of the players, but Usman Payne from the Bangor Buffaloes in the social division, he ended up representing his Senegalese heritage by switching over to the Africa United Lions in the open men's division on the day. He ended up winning the final. So great move by him, uh, but a little bit of controversy, of course. Stick around because after the golden points, uh, Africa United Lions captain Simon Moe was kind enough to record some interviews with the boys in the lead up to and after the event. Now, when when uh, I asked him to record some interviews, didn't know they were going to win the whole thing. So that's a little bit of a bonus there. So we've got the champions of the London Nines on Chasing Kangaroos tonight, uh, just after the theme music. So stick around for that. Golden point. Let's talk USA, guys, and the USARL Grand Final. It happened last weekend. You get the full report. Uh, Nate Gladden, Rugby League in America podcast, and didn't he do an excellent job with Teddy Grabowski uh, in the commentary? Uh, Brooklyn Kings, they're the champions, and I love it because they're my favourite team. Ever since they started, I think about six years ago, my favourite USA-based side, Brooklyn Kings, 12, the Jacksonville Axemen, 6. What a game, pretty much a replay of last year, except the results were different, and it was a much tighter affair. The Kings remain undefeated this season, and they end the two-year winning streak by the Axemen. And wasn't it a great game? Like, uh, quality in terms of USARL, if you've watched a bit of it this year, this was easily the the best standard of game. And, And without doubt, I mean, these two teams were far and away the best in their conferences. It was them, Daylight, and then... And then Tampa in the south and and Boston in the in the north, but the quality was pretty good. The standard of the coverage as well for a Facebook live stream, whoever produced it, they did an incredible job. And I'll tell you, if if the USARL can reach this standard week in week out, I'd be watching it all the time. The production quality was great, the teams were great, and I think good things to come with the USARL. Hopefully, if this is anything to go by, um, there were instant replays in the production quality as well, like. <laughs> It was fantastic, like just really great to see. I really enjoyed watching it. Uh, I think next year uh, it would be pretty cool if these guys faced off in the final again, and you'd have to think that would be likely considering how strong they have been. Uh, Could be pretty cool game three of the series in a way, but I'm going to make a really bold prediction, and obviously I don't know uh, what could possibly happen. It's, It's a long way away before 2020, but I'd be looking at, Boston 13s to be the big improvers for next year. I think they did some really good things. They're building up as a club and as a team, and I think they'll be better for it next year. 
Uh, hopefully they can be challenging as well and hopefully a few of those other clubs can try to reach that standard. But we'll be watching with interest uh, to see how next year goes. Going to be really exciting times. And guys, golden point, we're going to stick to the USA. You may have heard about the California Rugby League. Uh, they're hosting an exhibition match on December 7 between the LA Mongrel and San Francisco Savage, uh, two awesomely named sides. Uh, they'll include the likes of UA, USA Hawks, uh, Matt Walsh, uh, George Reese, and former Red Star Belgrade and Wolfpack trialist Monte Gaddis, and many, many more players. They're, they're unveiling their squad on social media every day. Well, David Lowe on Rugby League Planet are reporting that the league is expected to grow in 2020 and could include a five-week competition with teams from San Diego, Sacramento, and Oakland. Now, this is this surprised me because I didn't think they'd be growing this quickly. I thought there'd be maybe some more exhibition games next year. I know they want to grow the game in California. I'm excited by it if it's true. I hope it's true. Uh, I think it's a bit ambitious because there might be some distance between some of those cities and towns, uh, and we all know how hard it was uh, for the USARL, in particular with the uh, South Conference uh, this year when it came to travelling distance and we saw what happened with Atlanta. But I do think a second league on the other side of the USA would be nice for development over there. Uh, California is a little bit closer to Australia and they could probably feed in to the NRL in some way. I'm sure there's some ideas out there. But look, the big question that many people have been asking me uh, over the last couple of days since this news came to light is will this be a part of the USARL? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think, look, they're way too far apart to be playing, for clubs to be playing each other. Uh, I think it's a good thing if they're kind of separate for now, but they should all feed into that Hawks system. I think that would be pretty cool. Maybe they get some all-star games somewhere down the road and start to build a level, a semi-pro level above these, you know, mini competitions that could be spreading all over the USA. But I think really cool times, really fun times for the US and uh, looking forward to seeing what's going on not only on the East Coast, but also the West Coast in 2020. Golden point, guys. UK, let's talk Challenge Cup. Warrington, they defeated St. Helens 18-4 in the Challenge Cup final. I'm a disappointed St. Helens fan. I was shocked. I think the rest of the rugby league world was shocked as well. Good on good on Warrington. They were without Blake Austin, who's injured, but they really proved that they're, they're a quality side this year. They beat St. Helens, who haven't lost to too many. They lost to London a couple of times, but haven't really lost to too many teams this year. And, uh, look, I think it's going to be these guys in the grand final again, potentially. Uh, Wigan actually could be there. But, um, yeah, I think St. Helens would love a rematch, and I was very shocked. Meanwhile, in the 1895 Cup, which happened afterwards instead of beforehand, uh, we can talk about that all day, but, yeah, we won't. <laughs> Sheffield Eagles, 38, over the Witness Vikings, 18 Golden Point over to Papua New Guinea and the Digicel Cup. It's uh, semi-final time. And in the major semi, minor premiers, the Lay Tigers, they defeated the Wagi Tomb side, 20 points to 12. Meanwhile, in the minor semi-final, Hella Wigman, 18, over the Goroka Lahanas side, 4. So Hella will now face Wagi for a spot against the Tigers in the grand final. The Tigers will get the week off. And uh, really exciting times over there. It was a double header, those two matches. Apparently crowds of about 12,000 in Port Moresby, which is pretty good over there. Uh, saw some awesome photos from the day, bit of footage as well. I tell you, if you can get your hands on some Papua New Guinea Digicel Cup footage, it's really worth it. Like very flamboyant, fast, a lot of flair, great style of rugby league. I wish we had it. Um, I wish it was easier to, to get. I wish Foxtel had it on or something like that or KO, but unfortunately not. But, you know, maybe one day. Guys, Golden Point, Czech Republic, and they had a great day, the Czech Republic Rugby League. 
uh, the, over the weekend. So they had a doubleheader. Under-18s, their side defeated the Polish under-20s, 52 points to 12. Absolutely massive. And uh, in the senior game, the Czech Republic, 18, defeated Serbia, 10, uh, which is a bit of an upset. But you need to understand that Serbian side was mostly like an under-23 side, so a lot of their senior players where we've red star at the London's nine at uh, the London nines, so they use this opportunity to blood a few players in the lead up to their World Cup qualifiers game against Canada and all that sort of thing as well. But good on the Czech Republic, uh, really good, really good turnout as well. Saw some good photos there as well. Nice little crowd and uh, some good rugby league played over there. Golden Point over to Asia, and it has been confirmed that the Japan Samurais will tour the Philippines in November with a test in Manila. And this is really good news for the Philippines because, of course. They were meant to host Poland later in the year. Poland pulled out due to some lack of funds, uh, and which was disappointing because the Philippines hadn't had a home test in quite some time. But Japan Samurais have come to the party. I think these guys might be evenly matched. I know there's a four-team domestic comp in the Philippines. This is where they'll draw their players from. Not too sure about Japan, where their players are coming from. They've got a bit of rugby league happening. Uh, they last played a test against Hong Kong last year. Um, so it will be really inter- interesting to see how these guys go in November. Golden Point over to Ireland. And Rugby League Ireland, they've hosted some junior internationals over the weekend. Uh, the under-19s, they went down to Wales, 20 points to four. And meanwhile, the under-16s, they had a win over Scotland, 28 points to 12. So good to see the home nations uh, getting involved in some junior development and lots going on over there in terms of juniors. So really good to see. Hopefully we can see a stronger Ireland, Wales and Scotland in the future. Golden Point over to Greece and the Greek Rugby League Association have confirmed what we all kind of knew, and that was that they will be taking their home World Cup qualifier versus Scotland to London uh, later this year. So unfortunately, couldn't get the go-ahead for the match in Athens. Still a few things, even though there's a new government, uh, they still have quite some negotiation to go, and hopefully we're not far off seeing them being able to host some games. I think, and I've said this before, if they can qualify for a World Cup, then that would be the absolute shot in the arm that they need. And I'm sure you'd think that the government would get behind that. Uh, might be a little bit harder for them with Serbia now in the mix. And we might as well talk about that, guys. Golden point, World Cup 2021. And as Colin mentioned in our chat, Russia have formally pulled out of the 2021 World Cup race. Serbia will take their place. Uh, as originally reported on Rugby League Planet. They had a few good scoops this week, Rugby League Planet, so make sure you're checking out that website. Um, it's really sad news for Russia. I know they've sort of they've been a bit stop-start for the last 10 years. Uh, anyone that's been following International Rugby League for a little while will recall that Russia were like the new kids on the block, the next big thing back in like the early 2000s. They had clubs like Lokomotiv uh, that were playing Challenge Cup, Uh, And everyone was excited or everyone from an international perspective was excited of of what Russia could do. They had a game against the USA with 10,000 fans reportedly. Uh, Absolutely crazy times. They're kind of like, you know, ironically, kind of like what Serbia are now in terms of potential for the future and development in rugby league. Uh, Serbia will take their place. uh, And to be honest, they deserve the shot. They've got so much rugby league happening in Serbia that people don't even, or 99% of rugby league fans don't even know about. You guys, the 1%, you know all about it. You know they deserve their shot. Uh, Will be interesting to see how they go. Uh, Back to Russia, though, the domestic league. We spoke about it, a four-team domestic league penciled in uh, for, I think, this month or next month. 
I'm not sure if that will be scratched or if it will still be going ahead. Hopefully it is because I know four of those rugby union clubs that play over there that have played rugby league before in the past, very keen to play rugby league. Speaking to some of the players involved on the ground, they're keen to play rugby league. They're keen to play both versions of rugby, uh, but it looks as though uh, rugby union kind of may be absolutely fucking rugby league over in Russia, which seems to be happen- seems to happen uh, in quite a few places. Um, but look, there are some really passionate rugby league people on the ground over there. They're starting to build things up. It's not the end for Russia. They've merely said that they don't think they can compete at this level and they want to spend some more time building up their talent and resources so that hopefully in 2025 or when the race for 2025 is on, they're more well-equipped to do so and hopefully in a better position. So good luck to Russia for that, but good luck to Serbia as they are uh, race for 2021. Serbia will be playing Scotland in Glasgow October 26 and they'll be hosting Greece in Belgrade on November 9. Guys, uh, finally golden point uh, in Argentina and there was a bit of controversy last week when Argentinian Rugby League President Carlos Ferrer announced on Facebook that the nation would no longer aim for Rugby, uh, rugby League International Federation membership. Instead, they've earned membership uh, quite easily, obviously, for the World Rugby League uh, look, if you don't know what World Rugby League is, look it up and you'll quickly see that it's a load of bullshit. <laughs> I posted a Facebook Live video about this last week. It's still there if you want to hear more about it. Uh, look, I don't want to sound repetitive, so that's all I'm really going to say here. Uh, the final thing I will say on the matter, though, is I think it's a terrible move for Argentina. Uh, I've advised against it, uh, but to no avail. Uh, there are still some some others on the ground over there that are that are on side with the RLIF and hopefully it doesn't mean too much to the detriment of Argentina. But look, unfortunately, if this does go ahead, I think they're going to be set back probably about a decade with the likes of Brazil and um, and Chile and other, other nations around Central and South America moving forward. I said I didn't want to say much on the issue. I kept going. But guys, go go to Facebook Live. There's a video there. It's, it's quite interesting. Um, check it out if you haven't already. Well, this was a big one, guys, so I'm thinking of recording a simple Q&A episode next week, so look out for your opportunity to ask me some questions on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. I want to throw out a crazy idea, actually. If you're a long-time listener and would like to come on the show and ask me the questions for that episode, maybe even share some of your own opinions, then DM me and let's see what we can do. So little disclaimer, uh, we'll be first come, first serve and you need to either have Skype or the Anchor app to record with me. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a good idea, but let's see how we go. Let's see if we get any action, and yeah, it could be quite interesting. Guys, if you enjoy and learn from this show, then the best thing you can do is share us on your social media channels. Don't forget to stick around after the theme music by Ricky Cancino and Ash Barco to hear the interviews from Simon Moe and the boys from Africa United. I'm Michael Carboni, and until next time, fuck you, Nagari. Hi, uh, you're listening to the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. This is Simon Mo from Africa United here. Uh, 
We're just at the airport, getting ready to board our flight to the UK. Um, I've got teammate Joel Tubbsy. Tubbsy, how are you feeling about the trip to the UK? What are you looking forward to and what are you excited about? How you going? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the trip. Just want to see what the skill level's like, especially in an international nines comp. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be a good challenge for us, but um, African boys, I think we're probably ready for the challenge, that extra room to move. And just excited to get back over to the UK. Been there once before for another tour. But, um, yeah, pretty keen. That's great. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll keep you updated on our trip. And when we stop over in Hong Kong, we'll do another quick interview with, with Steve Warwick, who's our club president and founder. So, yeah, we'll talk to Steve after, after he gets off the phone. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, we've just landed in Hong Kong. We're in the main city right now, just walking around. I'm here with uh, club founder and president, Steve Warwick. Uh, Steve, how are you feeling about the London Nines and what are you looking forward to with the lads over there? Um, just looking forward to seeing the guys get out there and play some really good footy and put themselves on display and show people what African footy's all about. Um, I'm really excited to be here in Hong Kong at the moment. It's the um, first time I've ever been outside of Australia. <laughs> Yeah, so looking forward to the nines, but I think it's going to be exceptional. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be updating you on some more stuff when we touch down in London tomorrow, and we'll be doing some play interviews. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Good evening, guys. Stamimo from the Africa United Rugby League here. Uh, I've got two of the fellas uh, from the team here. I've got Gak and Jeffrey. Uh, We've just watched the London Scholars game. Uh, just uh, boys, what are you guys expecting for the Nines this Saturday? What What are you looking forward to, and what have you thought about England at the moment? Uh, first off, uh, it's good to be in England. Uh, it was great at halftime at the, the Scholars game to get out there and have a bit of running around with uh, Roots Roots Rugby League uh, United States. Uh, they uh, they're a pretty good side to be honest. Um, the way very, they shifted the ball, fast, yeah. very fast on their feet. Mm. Um, second phase play, I can see they have a lot in them. They're quick, man. So that's 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 a bit concerning. But at the end of the day, um, Sunday come Sunday is, is is game time, man. Different story. Yeah. It's a different story. That's right. And we'll have a crack in, and we'll go from there. We'll be good to go. Jeffrey, what about yourself, mate? No, London's been great so far. I've enjoyed it. The game was so good. Um, um, what else, man? Yeah, <laughs> today today was a very good day. Come, come, come. Just bring it back. Uh, I'm here with Jordan and Valier, uh, two other players from the team. Uh, boys, what, how do you guys feel about being in London? What are you looking forward to in the nines? Uh, what has been some funny moments while you've been here? Just let us know a few things. Jordan? Um, looking forward to a great atmosphere on the weekend. Um, having fun with my brothers. Um, they're just representing my culture. And um, also just seeing how the other teams play, you know, seeing other teams from overseas and just, you know, getting everybody together. Vili, what about yourself, mate? (laughs) Vili, what what about yourself, mate? What are you looking forward to with the London Nines and what have you thought about England at the moment? Uh, Nah, England's pretty good, man. I'm just keen to play footy with the boys here. We came a long way, so we got to show them up. Like, we can't just go home, like, with a lose, you know what I mean? We can't might be all the way, so we got to win. We got to go hard. Very right. nice. We had some funny moments today, lads, in the, in the market, um, in New Cross. We had a, we had a bloke, we had a bloke uh, say some Aussie stuff towards us. He's a pommy. Um, as we're walking away, the bloke turns around and goes to us, throw another prawn on the barbie. Never heard that before, but 
I think I'm pretty sure it's shrimp, but yeah, these guys are fun today. And we got a few ones. How you going, Sheilas? <laughs> but yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday with some more interview with some of the lads post game interview, pre game interviews. Hey guys, this is the lads from Africa United. Uh, we're back again on the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Uh, we just had our London Nines day. Uh, you know, it was really, it was really good day, fun day. Played some good rugby and uh, ended up coming out as champions uh, for 2019 London Nines. Um, I've got Jeffrey Duku with me here, and uh, and I've got Greg here as well. We're just gonna ask the boys what the experience was uh, and how they felt about taking out the the London Nines this year and what they're expecting for future stuff. So Jeffrey, how do you feel about the London Nines and what are you looking forward to in the future? Yeah, so I'm I'm very very proud of the boys today. I like I can't believe it, eh? Um, it was a long journey, long trip, but we, we did it. We did, we did well, like you know what, what we needed to do, and we we, we did it. Uh, we came over a win, so I'm so proud of the boys. So yeah, that's mm. it. That's good. Well done, mate. You had a few good games today. Made some great runs. Uh, now we will move on to Gak. Gak, how did you feel about today? You know, how did you feel about the London Nines? What are you looking forward to in the future, and and where do you see the club? Uh, initially, recapping on on the game, the tournament today. I think we played about six games, uh, fifteen minute, full fifteen minute halves of football. Um, it was it was hard. It was physical. Uh, at some points, they were fast, and, and 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 some teams had a little bit of structurability, which was a little bit hard to handle. But yeah. at the end of the day, we did it, man. Um, we we well, first two games we, we we were pretty strong and we put a dominant in it. Um, the third game uh, against Roots Rugby League. Uh, Nice outfit. Um, they 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 gave us a bit. A little challenge. A little know? challenge. Um, but we overcame it in the in the fourth and the fifth and straight to the grand final um, matches. Uh, like like I said, it was it was hard, physical, and scorching temperatures. But mm. at the end of the day, uh, we, we we came to London for a reason, uh, and that was to win. And, and and I felt like the boys did that today. Thanks, mate. Well done. Yeah, it was a great day. Um, you know, it was just very exciting. You know, we got to do this opportunity for our families and everybody back home who supports us. So it was just very nice to lift up that trophy for them and just, you know, be able to go back and, and let our families know that we did this. And, um, yeah, we're looking forward to what's to come next. You know, we're going to travel around a bit again, go to Carolina Nines. We've got the London Nines, um, the Cabramatta Nines in, in Sydney and then, the emerging nations in 2021 so you know we've got a lot to come and look forward to um but yeah thank you for tuning into the chasing kangaroos podcast and uh we look forward to being back on here again and and talking you know more future stuff with the club and and where we see ourselves and where we see some of the development clubs that we have under us like the south sudanese rugby league and, and all that stuff but yeah thank you thank you so much for taking the time to hear us and being a part of our journey in in the london nines thanks for listening to the chasing kangaroos Stamamo signing out